I think I've told you this before, but uh, I teach school. That's what I regularly. That's my regular job, uh, and I teach freshmen Western Civ. I've been doing that for several years, and uh, I, I teach them about the Battle of Hastings. And it's one of the dates I ask them to remember, 1066, Battle of Hastings, right? We talk about that and all that. So then the test comes, and on the test I write the question, what significant event happened in 1066? Have I told you this before? One kid wrote, Mr. Baker's birthday. (laughs) Now, I know I look old. I'm really only 40. But sometimes what happens with your age you know, people think you know a lot of different things. And I confess to you this series on I Love the Church. The reason why the church means something to me is not necessarily just because of my experiences, which I've had many, but also because of what the Word of God teaches about the church and certain things about it. So this morning, what I'd like for us to do is turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 13, and look at... Two reasons why I love the church. First uh, Corinthians chapter three verses thirteen through seventeen will be our text. Two reasons why I love the church. Verse thirteen begins like this: Each man's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. The first reason why I love the church is because God, Jesus, through Jesus Christ, will judge the church. Christ judges the church. I will say this a number of times during this message, but the context tells us this is about the church, but the application is to us as individuals. So while Paul is writing specifically to Corinthians and the issues in their church and what their church needs to do, there is still application that we can have for ourselves. So Jesus Christ judges the church. The judgment is nothing new. Scripture is full of examples of judgment. For example, the the judgment of sin at the cross. When Jesus paid it all, there was a judgment of sin. Also, there is self-judgment that Paul encourages in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says, you know, if you uh, judge yourself or evaluate yourself, that will keep you out of trouble because you're watching over yourself. Also, there's the judgment of Israel in Ezekiel chapter 20, the nation of Israel will be judged. Judgment is nothing new. So that day that he's talking about, that judgment is coming, is nothing new to Scripture. Matthew chapter 25, there is going to be a judgment of nations that we find out about. Also, in Jude chapter 6, there is a judgment of Satan and demons. In Revelation chapter 20, there's the great white throne judgment for sinners. And what he's talking about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is the judgment of believers' works. The judgment of believers' work. The day when Christ returns. The day when Christ comes. It will be a day of joy because we see Christ. But it also will be a day of judgment of the work 
you and I have done. Now, Paul has established kind of a building metaphor in here. And the day that he's talking about will be Christ coming as the chief inspector. Now, my wife and I have sold uh, three different houses since we have been married. And to me, the most difficult time is always when the inspector walks through, right? The inspector then tells you you need to add this, change that, and all that. And it's a little nerve-wracking. We don't know who the guy is. We never see him and all this. And it's just not a very happy thing. Well, don't have that same sense of dread when you hear about Jesus Christ doing the judgment. Because remember, Jesus Christ is the one that loved you so much that he gave his life for you. Remember that Jesus Christ is the one that is, is, is the Son of God and capable of knowing all about you in every little detail. And so when he comes in judgment, he does not come in, in some sense of, of, of wrath. I wish I could have thought of a better word than Christ as judge. But that's what he's doing. He's judging us and the work that we do. And so when we read this, we see that he is talking to us about judging our work. And he says, each one's work. There's no escape for anyone. Everyone will be a part of this. Now, we have to be very careful because sometimes what has happened is this idea of the judgment of Jesus Christ in that day has been twisted a little bit. There are some misconceptions for example, some people believe that this is going to be a time where, we will punish, where God will punish us for sins that we committed after we got saved. You know, I've become a Christian, and the cross took care of my sins. And then I continue to live as a Christian, and the sins that I commit, then I'm going to pay for them when Christ comes again. And that's not right at all, is it? Remember Romans 8? Romans 8, there's no more condemnation. Once we are in Christ, no more condemnation. So that's kind of an erroneous way to look at this. Also, there is some that believe that this is going to be a time of judgment for your unconfessed sins. You know, uh, you have lived your life as a Christian, but you have forgotten to confess certain sins. And so now Jesus is going to make you pay for unconfessed sins. Well, that doesn't fit either, because if you believe that, then you don't understand what confession is. Confession is, amalageo, right? Agreeing with God that he is right and you're wrong. You see, forgiveness is already secured, so we really aren't asking for forgiveness ever after the cross. Instead, we're agreeing that our sin was wrong, and thank you, God, for saving us from that sin and for forgiving us for it. So it's really, we're not asking for forgiveness, we're affirming it in confession. Also, and this was really big when I was in high school, I think it was told in order to keep youths or teenagers in line. And it was uh, this passage is dealing with that day when we will all sit in a theater and God will throw up your life on a screen and your life will unfold before everyone and he will show all of the things that you did wrong and all of the things that you missed opportunities and all. I don't think there's going to be Wi-Fi in heaven, number one. Second, I, I just, that doesn't make sense. Because remember, Jesus took care of our sin at the cross. And so this has nothing to do with any of those things. Now, the unfortunate thing about this day, and Paul's going to explain it to us in just a moment, but the unfortunate thing about this day is we don't know when it is. Now, like I said, my wife and I have sold a couple of homes, and when we sell them, they say the inspector is coming. And so what do we do? We clean up and we prepare. There is no date for this. Uh, I wish I could say to you that it was going to be October 8th, 2028. And then we would all prepare and we'd be ready for that day. But that's not what it is. Remember in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says it's like a thief. Unexpected. You don't know when the thief's coming. And that's how Jesus will come. He'll, he'll just come and no one will expect it. No one knows the time. 
So when Paul writes about this, what is he talking about? What is he trying to help us to understand? Well, he uses three words in this passage. And if you look at the passage in verse 13 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he uses the word disclose, manifest, and reveal. Disclose, manifest, and reveal. Now, these terms are synonymous with testing, not purging. These words are synonymous with with. Uh, a revelation, a disclosure, a manifestation of ourselves and what we did. The fire is about test. It's not a fire for punishment. It's not a fire for refinement. It's a fire for testing. The fire will disclose, manifest, reveal whether our works were gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble. And you can see that in verse 12. In verse 12, he says, Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, hay, straw, each one's work will be made, will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. It is a revealing fire. It is a, re- a fire that's going to reveal whether you invested in the permanent or the temporary. Gold, silver, precious stone is permanent. Wood, hay, and stubble is Temporary. So what did you build with? What did you work with? Did you work with the beautiful or the ordinary? Did you work with the valuable or the cheap? Did you work with what was hard to obtain or what was easy to obtain? Uh, How and what did you do with what it was that God did for you? Uh, First Corinthians, he's telling us about perishable versus imperishable. So what's going to be revealed? He says, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation uh, is revealed, you'll still re- receive a reward. So this is all about giving you something. All right. So the fire is meant to demonstrate and to show. The fire is not about purging and getting rid of things uh, in your life so that you can secure your salvation. Uh, He says that everyone will receive a reward. Uh, The scripture tells us that the rewards are crowns, right? We will receive crowns. The Apostle Paul does a great job of trying to help us understand that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, he talks about the imperishable crown that will be ours. You know, he uses the analogy of the Olympics where the Olympian runs and gets, he labors and works so hard for a wreath that's going to fade. But we as believers are working for an imperishable crown that Jesus Christ will give us one day. Uh, There's also going to be the crown that comes because of people that we have ministered to in life. There will be crowns. You are the crowning jewel of someone's ministry, someone's impact in your life. There's also going to be the crown that comes as a result of you loving the fact that Jesus is coming again. The crown of righteousness, those who love his appearing will receive a crown. You see, they're going to burn away things and then the rewards will come. There's going to be the crown of life for those who have remained steadfast in the faith. 1 Peter chapter 5 talks about the crown that is given to the pastor who is faithful. You see, this is dealing with rewards. This is dealing with with sharing and giving us what we need. Jesus Christ, the chief inspector, is going to evaluate our work, right? It's not going to be about anything but demonstrating what you have done. It's not saving your soul. It's not rescuing you. There's no punishment involved. It's all about manifesting, revealing, and disclosing 
what it is that you have done. Verse 15, notice what he says. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. The imagery is that of a man who is running through the fire. And as he runs through the fire, things are burned off of him or away from him, but yet he comes through okay. Now, he has lost, and there has been loss, but he has remained. Now, again, don't allow yourself to go to salvation. Uh, because, remember, salvation, uh, uh, in Titus chapter 3, Titus says, uh, uh, Paul writes to Titus, Titus didn't say it, sorry. Paul writes to Titus, he says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he has saved us. So this is not about the works for your salvation. This is about the works of your life. Christ Jesus is judging your work. Paul has already said to us uh, many times in Scripture, he has told us that we are already citizens. So we already have our position. What this is about is practice. So when he is evaluating, it's not about your position, it's about your practice. Let me try to illustrate that with with this. Uh, I have three sisters. They're all older than me. I'm the youngest. Go ahead. I know how you feel about that. Um, My wife feels the same way. Uh, I had a glorious childhood, I I have to tell you. My wife and I joke oftentimes, like we were making the bed the other day, and I said, you know, I never made a bed till I went to college uh, because I had three sisters that did it for me. But anyway, that's an aside. Listen, don't feed that, okay? But my mom oftentimes, she would get, get the four of us together, and she would say, okay, I'm leaving. And when I come back, I want to make sure that your bedrooms are clean, the garbage is taken out, the dog has been walked, the backyard has been picked up of what the dog leaves behind, and I want to make sure that you do all these things, dishes, all that kind of thing like that. So inevitably what would happen is my sister, who is the oldest, she would take charge and boss all of us around, and me being the youngest would always be like, I can't do this, right? And finally my mother would come back and my mother would walk the house and look at the house. And then she would evaluate and disclose the quality of the work that we had done. I am still a member of the family, even though I never did anything. I'm still a member of the family. And so that's what this is about. This is about Jesus Christ walking into our lives and saying, okay, now I am evaluating your practice. Your position is secure. It is secure in the work that Jesus Christ did, but now I want to see what you did. And that's a comforting thing, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, It is comforting, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But anyway, many times what we want to do is we want to have man's approval. We want men to evaluate us. What does man think of us? Uh, That's what was happening in Corinth. In Corinth, the Corinthian believers were saying, you know, I'm of Paul. Uh, I'm, I'm of Apollos. I'm of Peter. I don't know why you're trying to judge me. Let those guys judge me. Uh, It's not up to that. And Paul's saying, no, it's none of that. It's Jesus Christ who will be judged. You don't care what man says. Uh, In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he will tell them and he will write to them and say to them, you know, the day is coming where Jesus will make known the purposes of our heart. So don't worry about man. So that's one of the beautiful things about the church. The evaluation of our life is going to be through Jesus Christ. And what man thinks is not that important to us. He also says, you know, as a result, don't make man's approval your goal. In 1 Corinthians uh, verses 13 and 14, he says, If the work that anyone has built on, the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. And that reward is coming from Jesus Christ. Uh, That 
proof of what you have done is coming from Jesus Christ. So shouldn't we have as our main goal what Jesus thinks of me? Now, I I let off by telling you that I'm a, a school teacher, and this is one of the most difficult things to help students to understand. Because uh, the best thing about teaching and the, the being in the 21st century is phones. Because they have at their fingertips the opportunity to do a variety of different things. That's one of, the, one of the best things about phones. Now, one of the worst things about phones is that they have everything right at their fingertips and they can do whatever they want to with it. So it's, it's a fine line. And one of the things that the phone has become is a weapon. It has become a weapon for students with, with, with this whole issue of bullying and doing things. And it's incredible to me the pressure that students feel. And, and I, on the day of a test, I always ask the students to take their phones and put them in a box. And the panic is almost palpable. Like, how long is the test going to (laughs) be? Well, it's going to be about 25 minutes. You know, update your streak or whatever it is you're doing (laughs) and put your phone in the box. And they are so reluctant to part with it because from it they get approval or not. And that's so unfortunate. And if, if I could, this is a tangent, and I have, forgive me for this. Here's an example. I, I was at a, a basketball game one time with a family, and their son played in the game. And after the game, the dad walked off with the son to the locker room, waited for him outside of the locker room, and then took him and put, went into the stands and sat with him because there was another game that was going on. And so the dad is up in the corner of the stands talking to the son. And I'm sitting with the, the parents, and I said to the daughter, I said, uh, you don't play basketball. Why is that? She turns around and she looks and she goes, that's why I don't play. <laughs> because she knew exactly what the dad was doing. He was coaching. He was telling him what was wrong. Well, if I could give you any advice as a parent in 21st century, is that your students need a parent. They have teachers, coaches, administrators, and people like that in their lives. But they only have one parent or two parents. And so you can love them. You can hug them. You can affirm them. And you can remind them that, I know Billy said that in his text to you, but that's, that's not important. What's important is that I love you, Jesus Christ loves you, and you are a marvelous part of our family. That's a wonderful thing that you can do to remind them that the judgment of man means so little. Paul also says, you know, sometimes we compare ourselves with each other. You know, we get into the echo chamber. We find our little group that agrees with everything that I say, and we just echo back and forth. Paul says, don't do that. Instead, remember that Jesus Christ is the judge of the church, of your life, of all that you do. And so when you are serving and when you are working, it is best to try to gain his approval. We get so worked up with approval and wanting someone to affirm us and value us. And I, and I get it. We're, we're, we're human beings captured in the flesh. But don't forget that the most important and critically dynamic approval comes from Jesus Christ. And if we can fasten our hearts to that truth, then when someone forgets to compliment us for something or forgets to remind us how wonderful we are, we still have the anchor that Jesus Christ approves of us and is evaluating us. In Romans chapter 
14, verses 10 through 12, he says this, Why do you pass judgment on your brothers? Are you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. We will be judged by God. Now, sometimes we're tempted to judge others, and Paul's not encouraging that at all. Instead, Paul is encouraging us to understand that Jesus Christ is the judge, the evaluator of our practice and what we do. And again, that should be comforting to us because of his love for us and his interest and his knowledge of us is beyond anything that anyone else could have. The second reason why I love the church and think that the church is an essential place for us is found in verses 16 and 17. Verses 16 and 17, the second thing he says to us, he says, Christians are the church. So not only does Christ judge the church, but Christians are the church. Look at what he says in verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Paul is leveling an indictment against those that are saying things about the church. And he is trying to remind them that this is a very special place. There is a warning here to those that are trying to defile the church and split the church through dissension. And Paul's saying, you better be careful. We are the temple of God. You and I are sanctuaries. You and I have the spirit of God within us. Now think about this. Remember in the Old Testament, whenever the priests would go into the sanctuary, if they had unconfessed sin or if they were unclean, they were struck dead, right? Because it was a very serious thing to be a part of the, of the sanctuary and the holy place of, of God. Do you think that it's any less important to God how people treat his spiritual temple? How God treats the people who are his church, the sanctuaries that are walking around as his temple for his spirit. It is a very important thing for us to understand that the church is about people. The church is about people because you are the ones that have the spirit of God within you. You are the ones that when you show up, church happens. The church is all about people. We don't have to ask God to have his spirit in us because it already is. Instead, what we have to do is yield ourselves to that spirit and do his work. The church is all about people. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul wrote this. He said, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Jesus Christ is our foundation, and from that grows this marvelous temple. I don't know about you, but when I was little, I, I, I was home a lot. And finally, I, I had the opportunity to go to a professional basketball game. And this will tell you how long ago it was. It was when there was a thing called the Cleveland Arena, uh, the Cleveland Arena in downtown Cleveland. And I remember getting to go to a basketball game, and uh, it was the Cleveland Cavaliers playing the Los Angeles Lakers. 
And when I walked into that place, I remember being completely awestruck because of its size and the court and, you know, just seeing these heroes that I had only read about in the paper. I mean, I was so much a basketball fan that uh, the newspaper used to have the box scores and I would cut the box scores out and keep them in a bag. I I just loved, and here I am in like this gigantic place. I, I, I could not be more awestruck in my life than walking into that arena. That's how we should be when we're with each other. We should be in awe of what you all accomplish and how you live your lives. We should, we should be respectful and reverent, knowing that, that you are ones that God has chosen to be his temple, to be his people. The wonder of human life that has been touched by Jesus Christ. The amazing way in which you parent. The amazing way in which you love each other. The amazing way you act as husbands, as wife, as mothers, as sons, as daughters who are serving Christ. It's that same sense we should have. Understanding that Christians are the church. (laughs) You who have come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. You are the church. Don't forget when we are in awe of each other. What Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. Verse 10, he says, according to the grace of God given to me. So in order for us not to become too impressed by ourselves, don't forget we're here because of God's grace. I am what I am by the grace of God is what Paul echoes often. We are in awe of what it is that God has done in us and what he can accomplish through us. Remember, it was uh, Isaiah who, in Isaiah chapter 6, when he was in awe of God, holy, 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 what happened? He goes, oh, I'm a man of unclean lips. And the seraphim came and burned his lips. And he says, now you serve me. Now you evangelize. It's when we become impressed with what God has done in our own lives that we begin to share in the lives of others. It is an awe that comes. Now, keep in mind... That we are discovering that we are the church. So that means that we are an organism, not an organization. An organism, not an organization. Now, we have to have organization, don't get me wrong. But when we treat the church and understand the church, we understand the church as an organism. Now, an organism has has a head. Our head is Jesus Christ. The organism is alive. We are alive in Christ. The organism has many parts to it. That's why uh, Paul talks about there are many gifts, varying types of people and personalities. And, and all of you have a place. And the organism is growing. We are growing because of the life that we have in Christ. What a marvelous thing it is to, to understand that we Christians are the church. Paul writes that we are the sanctuary the temple of God, that we have the Spirit of God within us. So to do harm to God's church is to invite God's punishment, to invite God's problems in your life, if you have things against the church. Remember, Paul says, listen, you all are about dividing and hindering each other in Corinth. You need to stop that. And when you stop that, then you are able to unleash what God can do. 
We have to be careful what we say about other believers. Uh, We have to be careful what we say about the church. God's temple. We are that temple. Now, there is a a story in the Old Testament about uh, a time when God's glory leaves and the son's name and a a, a child's name, uh, Ichabod. And Ichabod means glory has departed. And when we stop reverencing and understanding the importance of God in this place, in each individual, then we become Ichabod. The glory departs. You see, we have a a, a responsibility to behave in such a way that brings honor and glory to Jesus Christ in how we share and how we talk with one another. The Spirit of God is in us and working. I love the church because Christ is the one that will judge us. I love the church because Christians are the church. There is a story that is told about Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great was one of the greatest. Uh, He was a great military leader. He was a great uh, user of tactics and motivator of men. He was able to take the, the, the kingdom of Greece and to spread it almost to India. Just an amazing man in terms of his military leadership. And he was known for being very stern and very much in charge. And one night he was experiencing some sleeplessness. And as he was walking, he noticed that one of the guards had fallen asleep. And when you fall asleep on watch, it is a punishment of death that comes to you. As Alexander approached, he stood over the man and the man finally sensed something and opened and was startled to see that Alexander was standing over him. And Alexander nudged him with his boot and said, what is your name? The man looked up at him and said, Alexander. Alexander looked at him again and kicked him with his boot and said, what is your name? And the man said, Alexander. And Alexander the Great, as you can imagine, was beginning to sense a little bit of a problem here. And for the third time, he kicks the man. And in a much more stern and loud voice, he says, what is your name? And the guy said, Alexander. And Alexander the Great looks down on him and says, either change your name or change your conduct. This morning, Jesus Christ looks at us and wants us to understand that we are his and that we bear his name. This morning, do we need a name change or a change of conduct? Whichever it is, let's make it right. So that when we say Christian or Christ follower, he is pleased beyond belief. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the gift of your word. It is a great blessing to be able to open it and to learn from it. And Father, we ask that today we not just be hearers of the word, but doers. Help us to please you with the events that follow us today. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Have a wonderful week.